0: Again, we thank you and praise you for who you are. We thank you and praise you for the gift that you are to us. Uh, We again thank you for uh, the other gift, Lord, that is your word. We just pray for the gift that accompanies your word and that's your Holy Spirit, as we saw this morning with the little ones. Lord, I just, again, I pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit, that you would guide us, direct us, and make this of permanent value. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been spending this this summer revisiting old messages, messages that I've given in, in years past that, that may warrant uh, updating and, and repeating. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look at Paul's words that he wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. This is what he said. He said, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if, we do, if I do not preach the gospel. Otherwise put as, woe to me if I preach not the gospel. You know, a while back, I I was taken to task by a non-Christian friend for being, as he said, excessively eager to relate everything and anything to God and the Bible. And trust me, my friend was not being complimentary. In fact, he was actually stating just the opposite. He accused me of being dangerously unbalanced and, and morbidly preoccupied with twisting everything into a God thing. I pointed out to him that we had had many discussions. We had talked about sports and politics, music and culture, and those discussions hadn't strayed into theology, but he just wouldn't hear it. It's too much, he said. I said to him, okay. I said, you tell me what is enough and what is too much. And that's the question we want to ask this morning. I mean, we are evangelicals. We are supposed to be particularly aware of of the Great Commission of Matthew 28. Literally, Jesus' last words on earth, this is what he said. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, Paul describes his own personal sense of urgency by saying, woe to me if I preach not the gospel. And he goes on to say in Romans 1, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so we asked this morning, is, is that you? And is it enough? Is it too much? What is it that God expects here? I mean, what is the point of sharing the gospel? What is its purpose? And just what is the power that is behind preaching the gospel? What is the point? What is the purpose? What is the power of the gospel? And again, before we get started, I want to make sure we all have the same understanding of just what that gospel is, and and like I said last week, the gospel itself is that God and man were separated by the sin of Adam, that made it impossible for an imperfect man to fellowship with a perfect God. It was resolved by God himself becoming one of us, living a perfect life, and then offering that life up on a cross, and that when we by faith place our faith in that sacrifice, we inherit Christ's righteousness And once again, just like Adam was originally, we too become capable of fellowship with God in heaven. And like I said back last week, it's a a very simple story because it's a very simple gospel. But I also believe it's easy to get the point of this simple gospel wrong. And so we asked the question this morning, what is the point of preaching the gospel? Well, the first 10 years of my Christian life were were years in which I understood the answer to that to be a no-brainer. You preach the gospel to save souls. I mean, I was told repeatedly by the the dear ones who discipled me that God was looking for soul winners. I was training to be a, a soul winner by people who took that mandate seriously. And so we went to the classics on soul winning. We went to the Romans Road and the Four Spiritual Laws. These were two very influential evangelical publications, and I learned how to present the gospel. And you have to understand, much of what they taught me was very, very valuable, but some of it, I believe, was simply mistaken. You see, my teachers pointed to Proverbs 1130, which says, he who wins souls is wise, or maybe to the statement that Paul made in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, For although I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. And so I understood our job is to get people saved, to, to win them for Christ. And you did that by being persistent and persuasive. I mean, by even becoming all things to all men, so you could have an opportunity to present the gospel. And you know, much of that was right on. I mean, I, I learned the value of knowing the gospel and how to present it. I, I also learned that sharing the gospel was a sacred responsibility that seems to have gone now by the wayside. You no, know, way back then we would go out in twos witnessing because the world was lost and it desperately needed the gospel. That was the good part. And it was all true. But but as I often say, the enemy has his playbook for everything, including presenting the gospel. You see, the point of the gospel is not saving the lost, as crucial as that might be. The point of the gospel is the glory of God. You see, Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John 17 says this. He says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus understood that the primary purpose of his work was to glorify his father. And Paul understood that as well, and he expressed it in Ephesians 1. He said, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now, what Paul is saying is is that we were predestined according to God's purpose, and that purpose is to the praise of his glory. That's the point and the purpose of our existence. Now, we're, we're the crown of God's creation. We were created by him to glorify him. You know, it's easy to say that statement and have people say, okay, fine, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to glorify God? Well, we glorify God by illustrating and demonstrating through our very lives who our creator is and what he does. That's what should drive us in our presentation of the gospel. You see, when the point of preaching the gospel shifts from glorifying God to saving souls, it shifts from the highest possible goal To an extremely good goal. But something critical gets lost in the translation. The gospel begins to lose its hard edge. And the ends start to justify the means. I start presenting a gospel that's all good news with very little of the bad. I may start out by telling folks God loves you and has a perfect plan for your life. Even though nowhere in the entire Bible will you ever see it presented Like that. See, Peter never started out by telling folks, uh, Peter first started out by telling folks the bad news. This is what he said in Acts 2.23. He said, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. See, he gives them the bad news. Then he gives the good news. He says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so here we see Peter glorifying God by telling folks who God is and what he does. And the results we find in Acts 2.37, he says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, we know from Scripture that 3,000 people found Christ that day through a method that would horrify many church planters. I'd just speak the truth in love, and thereby unleash the power of the gospel. I mean, I, I know deep down for many that, that plan, they just think it won't work today. You know, folks felt needs need to be identified, then they need to know how the gospel fulfills those needs. That's almost perfectly backwards. You see, folks need to know more than anything what the truth of the gospel is because it defines the greatest need that they have. And it's a need they probably don't even recognize, and that is to get right with God. I'm afraid Peter was just way too blunt for our tastes. I mean, he just told folks that our sin put Christ on the cross, that the very men who crucified him were doing what God had designed, and that, that there was only one way for them to get right, and that was to repent. I mean, I recognize it's, it's our task to understand our time, to understand our culture, to understand the best way to present the truth of the gospel so that it will be fully grasped. But the power to grasp it, the, the power to make it real, does not come from our persuasiveness. It comes, as Lorraine said, from the Holy Spirit. And when do you hear the church today preach about the wrath of God, about, about judgment to come, about hell itself, they have become anachronisms. And you know what an anachronism is? It's, it's a 50-cent word that the dictionary defines this way, a thing belonging or appropriate to a period other than that in which it exists, especially a thing that is conspicuously old-fashioned. And so God's holiness and his, his wrath and his judgment and, and even thoughts of hell is now so anachronistic that folks think that somehow magically these things no longer exist. Now, out of sight has become out of mind. But out of sight and out of mind doesn't mean out of existence, despite what many folks insist. I mean, these ideas often become the, the, the crazy uncle that the church keeps in a closet upstairs. You know, the church may acknowledge that the the uncle is real, but he just won't go away. And so it genuinely hopes we can keep him out of sight, but the problem is we can't still do justice to the gospel. You see, part of preaching the gospel is preaching the whole counsel of God. That's the good news and the bad news. And you've heard it say, say it many, many times, the good news minus the bad news is simply the nice news. It's the God of the fluffy marshmallow. It's the God who's here basically to cover our sin with his blood without any thought that God did that for a purpose. And that's so that we could be to the praise of his glory. I mean, nice news saves nobody and it glorifies no one. And if you read popular culture, you come away convinced that all God cares about today is niceness and tolerance in the environment and personal rights. I mean, the reason why today's God identifies so much, so much with us in our humanity is simply because we have largely made him up out of our own minds. He's literally a man-made God. <clears throat> He's a manufactured image whose passions now are uncannily similar to ours. As I say, we have met God and he is us. And sadly, much of our world can no longer fathom what the real God really cares about. And what he really cares about the most is his glory. And what his glory consists of is, like I said, it's the manifestation of his character and his attributes. In other words, we glorify God in our existence on earth by manifesting and demonstrating in our lives who God is and what he does. And that's the point of the gospel. And that leads me to my second point, which is what is the purpose of preaching the gospel? Well, the purpose is also his glory. And the purpose of preaching the gospel is always to get people saved and to expand God's kingdom on earth. I mean, go therefore and make disciples of all nations is what Jesus said. But understand, that goal is secondary to the goal of glorifying God. It's a small but very important distinction. You see, there's a difference between preaching the gospel to glorify God and preaching the gospel to get people saved. Again, let me explain the difference. You know, we often say God's word never returns void, meaning that every time we share the gospel, we move someone closer to the kingdom. But that's not necessarily so. You see, time and again in my early discipling, I was directed to Isaiah 55 as a as a proof text, that the gospel properly presented will always move someone towards becoming a believer because, after all, God's word never returns void. And that's absolutely true. But our understanding of how that happens might be quite skewed. You see, that passage in Isaiah that we're so fond of quoting, it actually says this. It says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Okay, my word shall not return to me void, but will accomplish that which I please. I don't know that we ever ask ourselves just specifically what is it that pleases God? Is it just the salvation of souls or is it it? The glory of God in the salvation of souls. Again, if salvation is our only goal, then then every time the word goes out, it needs to accomplish that. But that's a problem. We all know that that doesn't happen. Oftentimes people are deeply offended at the gospel, at least at at the real real gospel. And they laugh and they mock and sometimes they curse and oftentimes they ignore the word as it goes forth. So how then doesn't it return void? How does it always accomplish that which pleases God? Well, here's how. Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians 2. He says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. See, what Paul is saying is is when we spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ, God always, always leads us in triumph. Now, that doesn't mean that it always looks or feels that way. I mean, all, all we have to do is look at where Paul was when he said that, and we realize he was far, far from triumphant. He said, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So we ask, well, how is it that someone who's on the brink of despair can say that the spreading of the fragrance of Christ always results in triumph? Well, because an honest presentation of the gospel always accomplishes that which God pleases. Now, folks, if you get anything from me this morning, please get this. The most important part of sharing the gospel is not winning souls, as I understand that term. Sometimes it means being on the brink of despair. And the reason even that is a triumph is that honestly bearing witness to who God is and what he has done for you always, always brings honor and glory to God. And it does so regardless of the responses that we get. That is our purpose in sharing the gospel. And when the person we're sharing the gospel with is convicted of sin, when he repents, when he confesses his trust in Christ, God is obviously glorified. However, when the exact opposite takes place, when he or she laughs or mocks or curses or ignores the gospel, it still honors and glorifies God. And again, let me explain how. You see, it's our job to spread the fragrance of Christ, period. If the gospel is received, we are the aroma of life unto life. We bring honor and glory to the mercy of God. But if the gospel is rejected we still bring honor and glory to god we become as paul says the aroma of death leading to death and we bring honor and glory to the justice of god and god alone knows who is who i mean i've had the privilege of seeing folks glorify god's mercy as they embrace the gospel but far more often i've had the privilege of seeing god glorify his justice as the gospel is ignored or mocked or dismissed And God is clear about one thing in particular. And that is that God says, deciding who is who is completely outside of our purview. He says, and who is sufficient for these things? And we seldom realize it, but every single thing that we do here on earth is being played out. And it's being played out before a great cloud of witnesses, either for the glory of God or not. And Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I mean, do you ever think of your life as as running this great race that's, that's intensely being observed by the powers of light and by the powers of darkness? And those, quote, witnesses are all equally concerned about God's glory either being affirmed or denied i mean the kingdom and all the saints that have gone before us they, they want nothing more than to see the kingdom of god and his glory affirmed but the enemy of our soul equally wants to see us actively denying that glory i mean we may think we're just sharing the gospel but we don't realize it has cosmic implications that extend way beyond this world and way beyond our capabilities I mean, our job is simply to spread the aroma of Christ. And God readily acknowledges that saving souls is way beyond the power of human persuasion. Uh, God puts it, again, he puts it this way. He says, to one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? see it 's god 's job to see that his word never returns void it 's our job to accurately and lovingly present it. So let me illustrate with a couple of stories that that, that go back now many, many years for me. A, a long, long while back, a, a man was presented with an opportunity to share the gospel. This man was an electrician; he worked for a landlord in Michigan. He was fixing up apartments for a young couple that was living there. And while he was working there, he spoke directly to the couple about their need to get right with God. And the young man that he spoke to had lots of questions, many of which this electrician had no answers for. He just bore witness to what Christ had done in his life. In fact, he told the young man that he had been an alcoholic and that Christ had saved him. Well, it turned out the electrician and the young man in the apartment both had similar hobbies and he wound up inviting the couple over to his house for dinner. And at that dinner, there was even more questions, and some of the questions were very difficult. Some of the electrician couldn't even begin to answer. In fact, the electrician might have thought the evening was an absolute disaster. I mean, he might have felt particularly foolish. I don't even know. The couple was embarrassed. The evening ended with lots of questions still hanging in the air, and I just would ask the question, was that a triumph? Or did, in fact, God's word return void? Well, only time will tell, and trust me, time will at some point shout out whether or not this was a triumph. The amazing thing is that God says someday that conversation is going to be replayed. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Well, this event had no sinner's prayer, it had no conversion, it had no success, yet I say it was a triumph. See, it was a triumph not for the results, but for the intent. It was the electrician's intent that by being obedient, he would bring honor and glory to God. It was God's intent to be glorified in this regardless the outcome. Now, perhaps the electrician was a fragrance of death unto death, but at least he spoke up, and either God's mercy or his justice was going to be honored. You see, understand that a witness for Christ is all about honor and glory. It's not about confidence. It's not about sales. It's not about closing the deal for Christ. It's simply about spreading the fragrance of Christ. And you see, if the goal is the glory of God, you cannot fail. You can't mess up a sovereign God's plan. I mean, to be sure, you can always grow. You can always learn more scripture. You can always increase your ability to share Christ, as 1 Peter says. But in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make an offense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That's for sure. But understand, you can't and you won't spoil God's plan. And you have to understand that 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 one concept revolutionized my witness for Christ. When I I finally realized it's not my job to win, but to stay tuned to God's Holy Spirit. It's God's job to do the rest. I, I just am here to spread the fragrance of Christ. And if you understand that, you will not panic and fret when things don't go as planned. And believe me, they seldom do. I had another experience many, many years ago, almost 30 years ago. It's going to be embarrassing to him, but my, my son Seth was in second grade. <clears throat> our, our school was blessed with a strong group of teachers who truly loved the Lord. That uh, They boldly shared the gospel within the concept of, of a public school, and I, I doubt if any of them could do that today. But, but I know Janice and I prayed for them every single day, and, we were at a parent-teacher's conference with one of the teachers, and they shared this story. She said she and another teacher were witnessing to a third teacher, and they were excited to see that her interest in the gospel was growing and growing, and she was asking lots of good questions. and They could sense that the Lord was drawing her. And so one day she approached these two teachers, and she asked them a question. She said, would you wait for me if Christ comes back for his church? Oh, she's telling us this story. And she said, one of the teachers said, Well, that, that's really not possible because we all believe that Jesus' return is imminent, but it's absolutely unpredictable. And she told me she didn't want this teacher to put up her decision for Christ until Christ returned it. She she wanted her to know that the whole church was living their lives out as Christians, waiting for Christ's return, that it was an imminent thing for everybody in the church. And so she's telling us that she decided to illustrate how thoroughly the church believed this by restating the truth, quote, from the mouths of babes. So so there in this little meeting, she says, she's she's during a break in the meeting, she decides to call Seth up to the front of the room to this little group of teachers. And so she asks him point blank. She says, Seth, who's coming in the twinkling of an eye? And he just looks at her. Nothing's going on there so she's decided she's going to give him a little more time. After all, he's the pastor's kid. So she says to him, Seth, who is it that's coming like a thief in the night? She said, Seth suddenly light, lights up his eyes, and he says without hesitating, Batman. <laughs> <clears throat> so like I said, oftentimes we control nothing when we share the gospel. But that takes me to my final point. You see, if the point and purpose of proclaiming the gospel is the glory of God, then it should be obvious that the power of the gospel is exactly the same. It too is rooted in the glory of God. Jesus, in Acts 1, gives final instructions to his disciples. This is what he says. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Now, now, witness is a noun. It's not a verb. You see, witness is not what you do. It's really what you are. And who you are is just as important as what you say. Now, we say our walking and our talkie have to go together. And when your life and your words line up and the gospel is presented, there is power, and God is glorified. So I guess you could say my question this morning is, are you a witness for Jesus Christ? And are you enough, or are you, are you too much? I mean, I, I want you to ask yourself right now, when was the last time you shared the gospel with anyone? I mean, if the answer is a long time ago, or, or even never, ask yourself, why do you think that is? Now, I, I would suggest to you that fear plays a very prominent role. I mean, I, I get it. I don't know my Bible. I, I get easily confused. I'm not good in confrontations. I, I don't want to be thought of as a religious nut. You name it, we fear it. I have to tell you, yesterday I was, I was in port, and just, I was driving through port, and I came across not, across not one, not two, not three, but four Jehovah's Witnesses, and you can spot them from a mile away. they got the attaché case, and they're dressed very nicely, and they're walking smartly. And I'm, I'm thinking, that's a false gospel, but they're taking it door to door. That's nothing that we do. And I get it. There's fear behind a lot of that. I mean, I've been there. I've feared that. But there's a solution to that, and the solution to that is the sovereignty of God. You see, if God chose us before the foundation of the world, if you believe he is sovereign over all of mankind, and if he purposed to make you his child, do you think you have any chance, or anything has any chance in this universe that can prevent that? Well, if your answer is yes, you may as well find that and worship it because that is God. You see, if God answers to anything in this universe, including the free will of his creatures, then God's not sovereign. I mean, can you just imagine God up in heaven, biting his nails, hoping against hope that we find the courage to do what we're supposed to do? Otherwise, he's going to be stuck. I mean, do you really believe that God would place the eternal destiny of another human being into the fallen and sinful hands of us? Now, so sorry, Jim, it turns out that Bill was having a bad day when he decided not to share the gospel with you or or, or to dismiss you. So sorry, Jim, but your eternal future was determined by Bill's indifference. You think God is crazy? You see, every thought, every word, every deed of every human being at every single moment flows through God's sovereignty. We may get cold feet. We may disobey. We may even deny our Lord. But God will never, never be stopped by our sin. Now, from Earth's perspective, we we all appear autonomous. I mean, from heaven's perspective, nothing is left to chance. And this is not a new or novel perspective. It's exactly what the disciples in Acts believed. It's what gave them power and boldness. I mean, Peter in Acts 4, he's, he's just come from being arrested. He's, he's healed a man who was crippled from birth. And he's praying for boldness, and he lays out the bad news according to the cross. This is what he says. He says, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, Both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. He says, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, they're all gathered together against Christ. All with their individual agendas. All of them determined to destroy Christ. That's an awful lot of bad news. But the good news begins at the very next line. He says, they were all gathered together. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look in their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. So, what he's saying is, you got Herod, you got Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel on one side, you got God on the other side, and it's no contest. Peter declares how the cross was all God's doing. They were all gathered together to do whatever God's hand and God's purpose determined before to be done. Now, don't ask me how, but in the mystery of God's sovereignty, Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel all all freely did of their own free will exactly what God determined beforehand needed to be done. Each while their own pursuing their own individual agendas. And Jesus went to the cross fully aware that his sacrifice had been orchestrated and planned and executed not by the will of puny human beings, but through the will of puny human beings by the power of the sovereign God of the universe. And the word that Peter spoke that day was accompanied by a supernatural power that no one could stop. Now, Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's literally the power of God for those who believe. I and mean, God says the very same power that he worked when he raised Christ from the dead, that, that power flows through us as we share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's certainly not my experience. Uh, I feel more powerless than powerful when I share the gospel. And I get that. I mean, to see friends and acquaintances and loved ones and relatives adamant in their unbelief is to feel at times helpless and hopeless and, and yeah, even angry. It's like having to watch a slow-motion nightmare that you're powerless to change. And it may seem worse still. I mean, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, if, if you believe that Jesus is insistent in claiming you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit. If you, if you believe Ephesians 1 that says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, you may think, well, well then what's the point of trying? I mean, if the choice is ours, then everybody at least has a chance. And I'm the very first one to admit that there's a great danger in understanding this aspect of God's sovereignty. The danger even has a name, it's called fatalism. Kesarah Sarah, what will be will be. And it leads to a loss of passion, it leads to a cool indifference, it leads to the frozen chosen. You now God's going to save his elect, so why bother sharing the gospel? And the exact same argument applies to prayer. I mean, if God's going to do what he's going to do, why in the world would you bother praying? I mean, why not just say the Lord's Prayer one time and one time only once you reach the age of reason, around seven or eight? Just say, well, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and be done with it. And there are people today who believe and act that way. They say, why pray? Why serve? Why share the gospel if God does it all? But there's also a name for them, and that name's probably unbeliever. You see, if you are a child of God, if it means anything, it means this, it means God is living inside you. first Corinthians says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Well, if God's spirit is inside you, he's ceaselessly at work transforming you into the very image of his Son, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. Romans 8, 29 says, We are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. Well, if God is conforming me into the very same image of his Son, then I can't help but have the very same passions that he had. And those passions have to include prayer and proclamation, sharing the good news of the kingdom. So if those passions are absent from your life, if you're a charter member of the frozen chosen, you just might be wondering, maybe you're just frozen. Now, woe to me if I preach not the gospel. That is a passion that should mark every single one of God's children and what kills that passion is two things it's ignorance and fear you see the ignorance comes from a church that no longer preaches or teaches the whole counsel of God and the fear comes from a church that teaches that the power in preaching the gospel better come from you because that's the only place you're going to find it and that's a lie and both of them are lies both of them cripple our witness See, God's not looking for lawyers. He's looking for lovers. He's looking for men and women who know Christ alone can transform lives. And they know that the point, the purpose, and the power of preaching the gospel is first and foremost the glory of God. And that the point is not just saving souls, but spreading the fragrance of Jesus Christ to those being saved as well as to those who are perishing. And its purpose is to advance the kingdom and glorify God by obeying the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And thirdly, we know that the power comes from God himself who desires that we, quote, triumph in Christ by simply spreading the fragrance of his presence as a witness. And whether it glorifies God's justice or, or mercy is solely up to God's sovereign choice. Who's sufficient for this? God asks. Who has the power to make the words of Scripture bring life to the spiritually dead? It's not you, it's not me, it's him. And all God wants is a witness. Someone whose life demonstrates who God is and what God does. That's what glorifying God is. That's victory enough. Because God does the rest. I mean, you may not sense victory when you honestly share the gospel. You may get mocked. You may get ignored. You may feel like a total failure, just like that electrician. I mean, I reckon he has no idea that God took delight in his witness. That God gave his presentation of the gospel, his power as well. And I know that because that electrician was the very first person to ever share the gospel with me. It was Janice and myself who had been invited to dinner by that couple in 1971. It was two years later, in 1973, that I came into the kingdom. Now, as far as that man thinks, that night was a total failure. I mean, I had questions and he didn't have answers. And when we parted company, I I, I think he felt like a fool. I know someday we're going to meet again and he's going to find out that that dinner that was long, long forgotten was a divine encounter and that God used that dinner to start me on the road to the kingdom. So how about you? Maybe God has got you thinking. Thinking about sharing the gospel with your neighbors, your friends, your acquaintances. Or you can start out today just by praying for them. You can start out by asking God for opportunities. You can listen to the Holy Spirit's promptings. You see, it is he who sets the agenda. We wait on him. That's what witnesses do. They pray. They seek opportunity. They listen to the Holy Spirit. They spread the fragrance of Christ. And each time they do, they triumph. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for your word, I thank you, Lord, that you are the one who seals the deal, as it were. You are the one who bring, pe- brings people into the kingdom. What you have called on us to do is to share the fragrance of Christ. What you have called on us to do is not just to do, but to be a witness. And so, Lord, I, I pray for each and every one of us. Lord, there's a world out there that desperately needs to hear the gospel. There's There's false gospels that have people so convinced that they're going door to door. Lord, give us some of that enthusiasm, some of that courage, some of that desire that we may go out into this world and save people, not by turning them into Christians, but by turning them towards your Holy Spirit so that you can turn them into whatever it is you will.